Welcome to the third and last episode of our podcast series on decolonization of the IRO curriculum and African politics in international relations by the African Politics Club and AMFN. My name is Rick and I'm here with Jana. Hello. Last episode, we talked to Professor Matthew Longo and Professor Adekai Adabajo, who shared their perspectives on decolonization and the neglect of African international relations schools. Today, we want to bring all perspectives together by looking at how we can practically apply what we have learned and how decolonization can become reality in our own IRO curriculum. We start off by talking to Sheila Ajazumita Jito, Lan University's diversity and inclusion advisor. She supervises and educates academic and university staff about inclusivity and diversity practices towards change within our university. Today, we're going to talk to her about how what we learned so far in the previous episodes can be practically applied in a university context. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me. My name is Sila Arjusmito Jetu, and I work for the Diversity Expertise Office as an advisor on DNI, so diversity and inclusion, but also on the basis of equity because it's an important part of uh, the way we look at things from the expertise office. Like the last 20 years, I've been working towards diversity and inclusion, uh, first in the welfare uh, sector and then in the educational sector, and then. Uh, for the national government and the local government, and now at Leiden University. <laughs> now, I believe that many students have heard of the office, but others maybe have not. What are the main objectives and the main tasks that you do? Two main things. One is um, advising regarding a policy, so writing memos and annotations and notations, uh, uh, which uh, sometimes seems... Um, to some might seem a little bit boring, but I think it's very important because then on an institutional level, you get to address topics of diversity and inclusion and you get to advise the board on these things. And then, of course, the decision making is there, but it's for them to do. But uh, for us, uh, it's very nice to be addressing these uh, topics. On the other hand, uh, within the expertise office, we have more practical sense of things. So we do give trainings and advice, do a bit of coaching. We give workshops all regarding awareness, community building and empowerment. So this is the other part of the job, I would say. So I do a lot of development there. And my, as I said earlier, my main topic is inclusive education. Well, for me, inclusive education means a lot of things because inclusive education for me is also making sure that we are thinking about who is teaching, right? So it becomes an HR quest as well. And it is also, whom are we teaching? So it also becomes about how can we address students or students-to-be in a larger scale that maybe are not more equipped to join us, but how can we reach them? And it's also, what are we teaching? Which is, of course, about research and about decolonization and about being inclusive in, in what you are teaching. And it is also about... Uh, how are we teaching? So in what way are lecturers and our teachers and our professors equipped to actually be more inclusive in whatever they are doing in the classrooms regarding didactics, for instance? When we interviewed our students, many said that they would be encouraging everyone to have a more diverse staff that is maybe very much from Europe, which leads us to our next question. Advisor, how do you approach the topic of decolonization and how does 
LU sort of give you a framework for that or do you sort of lay that out yourself? Like we don't have a central framework, I would say, because uh, that would mean that um, whatever you do fits for all. And, uh, and when we're looking at equity part of it, then we're actually saying, no, there's not one thing that fits everyone. So we are really looking into contextualizing the way we approach decolonization. And in that approach, we try to support the departments, the students or lecturers and teachers in what they want to do and what they find important in decolonization, but also uh, making the programs less uh, Eurocentric, for instance. And so I would say there's not one framework. We try to support whichever movement there is from the ground up, so very grassroots. When you start to support the individual uh, faculties and professionally working towards a more inclusive and diverse environment, what are the main hurdles and obstacles you'd say you come across? I do think the sense of building a community helps with actually tapping into this challenge and seeing in what way we can collaborate with others and, and what kind of lessons are learned from others that already started on decolonizing their uh, curriculum, for instance. So I think if we're looking at challenges, of course, is well, within academics, <laughs> there are a lot of opinions and very opinionated uh, people, of course, as well. <laughs> and to get like some sort of thought process going where dialogue rather than um, discussion or argumentation uh, is, uh, is uh, central. Uh, that is one of the main things that we are focusing on because in dialogue, we try to listen and try to ask to understand. And, you know, it's, it's less about what you think uh, and what you want and what you are arguing for. And it's more about trying to understand the other and understanding other opinions and understand then from there, from that kind of understanding place, then you can move on forward and seeing, okay, this, these are the main uh, topics that we want to address for now. So I would say the biggest challenge is to get everyone in, um, in that kind of flow that you want to understand other people rather than have uh, your heart set on arguing whatever you want. <laughs> so also for students, let's say a student is maybe wants to address these issues. What have you learned about rightfully addressing and approaching such issues in the most basic and simple way? Yeah, so I think uh, what I think is very lovely is at the expertise office, everyone is welcome to address anything, right, uh, regarding diversity and inclusion. So um, whether it be a whole of the department or directors or professors or teachers or, or students, everyone's perspective is important. We created, we actually have light and inclusive education, and this is uh, teaching staff from all over Leiden University. And they come together every six to eight weeks and they are uh, exchanging lessons learned. They are um, developing a, um, a toolkits and, uh, uh, and ways to go about uh, becoming more inclusive, so to speak. They're working with the decolonization network. So you see that uh, you have different types of networks. Yeah, for me, that's a very important part of the way we're trying to Address. So we see that this community, this, this diversity and inclusion community, is growing and also more interconnected, so to speak. If you now would have to look into the future, 
How do you see teaching change in the in the next few years? Do you think there is going to be a change where, where students can really feel like, yeah, we have such a diverse staff and we have papers from all over the world? I think it, it is already there. So it's not necessarily something that is in the future, but it's already happening. And it has been happening, maybe on a smaller scale and not so visible to the eye. But I, I do think that um, in these small steps, because everyone is taking really small steps, and it's not really, it's not always steps that you're taking together or at the same pace or uh, at, um, in the same um, time frame, so to speak. But you're seeing that even in these small steps, uh, that it's a growing community. Um, and I think the awareness is also growing, right? And I think when awareness is growing, then you can work on topics more easily. And so awareness is a big part of what you need to do regarding. Um, and the hard part is uh, that we don't want to become political because I do not think uh, it is necessarily political. Everything can be political in, in that sense, of course, but I would say this is not necessarily uh, political. I think it's progress because if you have different kinds of input from all over the world, so less Eurocentric, Uh, then you have actually other type of standards for your education because it's kind of more wholesome, you have more ideas. And of course, you cannot incorporate everything, but the notion, at least the notion of that what you are being taught in the university context, but then at least the awareness mm -hmm. of that part, so being aware that it's Eurocentric, is already a step forward, I would say. Could you maybe give us an example of how this progress is being visible in like a, a project you've recently been doing or something that has been produced in work with the diversity and inclusive office? We are working on different, <laughs> different levels. Uh, so we uh, developed a professionalizing course for mainly lecturers and teaching staff. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can come in as a team and they can um, follow this course uh, and they can choose their own point of entry. So they, ca they can choose, uh, we want to have more uh, theoretical background on inclusive education. We want more didactical uh, input for being inclusive in our education part. Uh, we uh, need more methods and then they can come in and they can say, okay, we want uh, to have at least a couple of methods. And then um, we develop this course and they can say, okay, we're, we're choosing uh, methods in this sense uh, as a point of entry. And then we provide them with the course. And then in that sense, they can become more inclusive. So we, we are really focusing on a lot of types of different connections in one go. So uh, at one, you can come in as a team uh, from one department, for, for, uh, for instance, and then you can say, okay, we want to actually address decolonization or we want to address uh, inclusive education as a whole, uh, and we can help them out with that by uh, offering them this course. And then they can, of course, pick that up and go into curriculum development and say, okay, for the upcoming years, we will be doing this and that. So that is, um, but uh, we are also, of course, organizing conversations about race and, and about uh, discrimination. Uh, so we're trying to actually have these awkward conversations and having <laughs> having room for dialogue as a method. 
because it's very hard in the university context to actually have a dialogue instead of an argumentation line. <laughs> so we're really trying out if people are willing to understand how this dialogue works mm -hmm. and that it's not necessarily about your opinion, but about understanding someone else's opinion. And I think by creating these conversations, you're, you're creating awareness and you're also meeting people that have, that have interest in the same kind of topics. And then you're also working on this community level. So you have awareness, community, and uh, of course, in the safe space environment, you also have the empowerment part. And I think these three things are um, very much working towards this idea of how to work towards decolonization, inclusive education, um, becoming more uh, aware of what it means to be more diverse and what it means to be more inclusive and how you do that, um, uh, taking in consideration equity. So. I think, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a great picture of being a community, which is kind of what a university should be as an institution, right? Yes, um, yes. Um, I very much enjoyed the answers you could give to these questions. Um, they were a good insight, and I think something definitely to keep in mind, also students. Thank you very much for taking the time and then speaking to us. Thank you so much for the invitation again. For all of the students listening, um, change is happening and maybe not at a pace that we would want or uh, need or like, but it is happening and you're a part of it. So if there is anything you can come up with and you need support by, just make sure that you find the right people. It could be the expertise office, but it could be others and you just gather around the topic and just go for it. I think students have uh, that nice flow about them, so uh, it would be great to see that. We have now learned that studying African politics is absolutely crucial for a degree in international relations. Colonial history does very much shape the way Europe and others in the West relate to the global South and Africa in particular. A direct result of disruptive and cruel European expansion can be the borders that we see on the map of Africa or the fact that we are doing this podcast in 2021. African societies, their position in the wider world and the challenges that come along with this would not have been the ones they are now if it weren't for European colonialism. We shouldn't think that our shared colonial history is now completely behind us. Even more so, there is still a process of recovery and reconciliation that needs to happen. To this very day, stereotypes, racism and inequality shape our international politics to a large degree. The current COVID-19 crisis makes this very clear. Vaccine inequity, or vaccine apartheid, as Professor Adebayo called it, shows the world that human life in Uganda or Senegal is still not perceived to be equally worthy as those of us living in Spain or here in the Netherlands. Linking this to our education, we believe that we should study these inequalities. We can only become well-equipped to work towards changing this for the better if we are confronted with a wide range of different perspectives that make us well aware of the biases that might be out there. But how can we do this concretely? What needs to change in our syllabuses? As our podcast focuses on decolonization, this is a tricky topic to touch on, but even more so to come to a conclusion with. 
we can group it into different dimensions as we did by focusing on the students, the academic and the university, or we can talk about people as an underrepresented and overrepresented and all the ideas that are attached to it. Overall, we can say that any student who would like to learn decolonized material has the opportunity to seek it out themselves, as a syllabus often does not include them. Yet, we can also make our professors and teaching staff aware and hold them accountable to finding more sources that are non-Western. As Professor Adebacho outlined, we learned about the ways in which the Dar es Salaam African School of Political Economy in Tanzania, the School of Literature in Kenya, and many schools of African studies, such as the School of Atlanta, has been pivotal places to international relations and African perspectives, the same way we learned about the Chicago or English school in our IRO courses. Therefore, arguments in which time is proclaimed to be needed to change readings or include African authors is more a neglect or lack of information simply, because these African schools existed for decades now and have had significant impacts in studies of Orientalism, Pan-African discussion, and Euro-African relations. Critiques towards the West by African authors seem to be an ideal starting point to any Western curriculum, so why not include it? This is the conclusion that shows there is interest and material that matches that interest. However, a tougher conclusion is the one that talks about the system in place, the examples that are not included, the perspectives that still need to be challenged, and the people of color staff that has not yet been employed. This is institutional and analyzes a system that takes time to change. But the fact that it takes time does not imply standing still with consistent work that pays off in the long term. If, as a student, you are interested in decolonization and African politics, or you feel misrepresented, there is a silver lining in academics that have studied these topics all their lives. There are students' associations and more and more students and professors that prioritize this. And then it goes to say that first and foremost, decolonization starts with ourselves and the decolonization of our thoughts. Then the next step is that decolonization does not come by waiting, but we should all try to take the extra time finding non-Western literature for an assignment or make people aware of it more often. If this podcast has shown anything, it is to challenge yourself, academia and universities to allow for a decolonized syllabus at an earlier time instead of later. Before we go, we want to thank everyone who contributed to this podcast series and without whom we would not have been able to do this. Thanks to Professors Matthew Longo and Adekai Adabajo and Learning University's Diversity and Inclusion Advisor, Shela Archesemito Jertu, for sharing their interesting perspectives. Thanks also to Nihal, Samantha, Maria, and Jella, who are willing to talk to us about the change they want to see in our curriculum. Without our fellow members of the African Politics Club, and especially Tara, this podcast would not have become reality. Thanks. And also thanks to Margot and others at AMFM who are willing to share the platform to bring this podcast series to you. And finally, thanks to you for listening to our podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the series as much as we did, and we hope to have given you some insights into African politics and the ways in which we can decolonize our curriculum. <laughs>